0: Good morning. Good morning again, and welcome to our service. My name is Richard. Um, as, as Weising mentioned, I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Uh, I joined the, the church staff in January of this year when everything was virtual, when everything was still kind of weird and rocky. And so it's such a joy to be here uh, in the room with you all, and I'm so glad that you're here with us. Um, a quick additional thank you um, I don't want to forget is uh, Caitlin, who isn't here today, but she um, has been helping with a lot of our online stuff. So anything you see on Instagram, any of the the newsletter things that go out if you're on that, she's really been spearheading it and normally I'm not somebody who's live in this fast-paced area of our country. We live busy lives with lots to do, lots of decisions to be made in every area of life, whether it's your career, your families, your just personal well-being, your friendships, hobbies, what you invest your time, money, and resource into. And it can be easy to view our faith as just another area of life to, to have fuss. Right? But in this series, we're considering the I am statements, which are what Jesus says about himself from the book of John. And in looking at them, we're looking to connect with the person of Christ, to behold the one whom we call Lord and Savior, to simply be with Jesus. And so today I'm starting off this series looking at the first I am statement found in John chapter 6, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And so if you have your Bibles, if you have your phones, or you can read along here, we're going to read through uh, this passage in John chapter 6 from verse 22 to 40. Read along with me from God's word. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there. And that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near to the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves of bread and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is from my father. It is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread from God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have already seen me. You have seen me and still you do not believe. All those my Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away, for I have come down to heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has sent me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life and will raise them up at the last day. And This is the word of God. Now today, we're, we're looking at three questions that come up in this passage that we read. Right, The people asked Jesus, Rabbi, when did you get here? They asked him, what must we do? What must be done to do the work God requires? And the third question they raise is, what sign will you give us that we would believe in you? And these three questions will help us to understand what Jesus says about himself when he says, I am the bread of life. And so this first question, when they asked Jesus, Rabbi, when did you come here? See, this crowd originally came to Jesus um, before this passage because they saw him healing the sick, doing miraculous things. And John gives us context here that this crowd came and, and they had their fill when Jesus did the miraculous work of feeding thousands of people with five loaves of bread and two fish. And now they come curious because somehow this man, Jesus, got across the Sea of Galilee without a boat. And you see, Jesus doesn't actually answer their specific question. Isn't that great when you ask someone a question and they don't answer your question and they start answering another question? It's, it's infuriating. Um, <laughs> but Jesus does this. He answers something else. He answers and responds in a different way. And it's because he knows their hearts. He knows their motives. He knows what's truly on their minds. See, they got something from Jesus, and maybe they were coming to get something more. Maybe they wanted to see what else he would do after healing, after feeding. And Jesus um, says that they came not because they saw these signs, but because they had their fill. Now, the word sign is, is really significant throughout the Gospel of John, and it comes out throughout this book. And these signs refer to miraculous works of Jesus that aren't just supposed to be like incredible in and of themselves, although they are, but they point as signposts and signs do to something else. And in the book of John, these signs point to who Jesus is as Messiah, as the promised one from God. But this crowd is following Jesus not because of who he is, who they think he might be, who, you know, they're not trying to investigate the person of Christ, but instead, because of the stuff that he did. They didn't really know or care about who he was. They were concerned with having their fill. And this same attitude and approach to God exists today, doesn't it? See, we might find it so easy to turn to Christ when things are going wrong, when there's a need, when we don't know what's happening. As a planner, this is something that I feel when I'm out of water and I don't know what's going on. There's this sense of, of feeling frantic or not having my footing. And we can find it so easy to turn to God in these moments. And that's a good thing. But you see, it's, it's off when, when, when things are going smoothly. It's so much easy for us to pass by god to pass by the person of christ because see we're getting our fill and so we disregard christ and so jesus calls us as well as this crowd to set our sights on something more than getting our fill he says do not work for the food that perishes but for the food that endures to eternal life which the son of man will give to you and he's talking about himself And when he says that he's this bread of life, that that this food, he's saying, I am offering you something better. I am offering you eternal life. And here I think there's something important for us to clarify. We use this language of eternal life But when we do, we're not just talking about eternal in terms of this temporal sense that life just never ends. But when we talk about eternal life as Christians, as those who believe in Christ, we're talking about something that is eternally deep in its quality, something beautiful and magnificent, something better than getting our fill. With this eternal life, Christ gives us a new purpose that the Bible will say and call believers to love others, even our enemies, even those who hurt us. And this isn't meant to be this torturous thing we, we push through all the time, but it's this beautiful new purpose of showing the love of Christ. Paul, in the book of Philippians, even says that he has learned to live faithfully, whether he has or he doesn't have, that he can face all things through Christ who strengthens him. And that's not a picture of Paul saying, look what I can do. It's, I can't. But because of who Christ is, this new purpose that he's given me, this eternal life that we speak of, he can with joy. And here Jesus is offering this eternal life and purpose and new purpose. And so that brings us to our second question that the crowd raises. What must we do to do the work God requires? In other words, they're asking, what do we need to do to get right with God? What do we need to do to gain this eternal life? And you see, this is the kind of question we might ask to, to learn what the criteria is, to know like, what's, what's the baseline of what's expected. If seen negatively, it could be a question of, what do I need to do just to kind of get by? <laughs> to be good enough, to be acceptable And in this passage, Jesus' response is short and simple. To get right with God, you must believe in the one he sent. You see, Christianity is not primarily focused on what we can do or what we will ever do, but rather who we believe in. Our salvation is not based on our good works, but based on the person and work of Christ. And if you've been in church, you've heard this, hopefully this is something that isn't brand new to you, it's not like shocking news, right? But here's a here's real truth, right? Um, we forget this. <laughs> we forget this, and it's a problem. And we live, we live in this urban area that highly values achievement, getting things done, where when we're asked, how are you doing? How's, how's the week been, right? The response, I'm so busy, isn't seen as a negative response, right? Rather, it's seen almost as a standard. It's seen almost as a sign of working hard, getting things done, and doing good work. And there's a problem where when what we achieve in our work, our titles, our perks, our paychecks, our pension plans, all of that can be used to put labels on our sense of value. You see, stay-at-home parents or people who aren't working for whatever reason, I see you and I see that this kind of culture devalues who you are. And we're pressured to think we need to keep up with our peers and neighbors. We're implicitly challenged to keep up even with, with um, acquaintances and even strangers whose manicured lives we see online, whether on social media or maybe even on dating apps or maybe even on Zillow. See, we're really good at finding ways to compare ourselves to other people and sizing ourselves up trying to see vaguely on this weird standard, am I good enough? Am I acceptable? This is the world we live in. So it's no wonder that unless we actively work against this tendency, we get super hazy on this question of how to get right with God. We drift from the call to simply be with Jesus, to believe in who he is, and we drift into functioning, asking and clawing our way through the question, what must I do to get right? With God. And in this, we forget that our salvation, our getting right with God, is rooted in Christ, not our own works. See, in Jesus' day, the Pharisees and the religious elites, they they fell into this. They were so proud of how they observed every letter of the law, every rule that they had. And Jesus confronts them and he corrects them and says, You're missing the point you're missing the point here. But ultimately what they do is they reject Jesus and they ultimately crucify him. In the first chapter of John's gospel, it says that Jesus came to his own people, but his own did not receive him. These people who were awaiting the Messiah from God, these people awaiting the one sent from God with all this hope and pent up anticipation, they did not receive him. They missed the point. And Alistair Begg, he's a a pastor, and he he says this, it is dangerous and foolish to look at whether we preach or teach or help or give or speak or sing or create or touch or help or heal as self-authenticating evidences of our spiritual life. See, when our faith and our identity as Christians is centered in on what we do, we put ourselves at risk of missing the point cheapening grace and actually rejecting Christ because we think we can do it on our own but maybe a better way to check in with ourselves on this question is to consider our response to sin how do we feel when we're called or, or when we're when we're called to confess our sin to God to confess our sins to one another how do we think and talk about our past mistakes and sins and yes it's hard to talk about past failures i'm not saying that it should be easy and we should just be saying like all like airing dirty laundry everywhere we go like that's not the picture that i'm i'm looking at but when it comes to talking and thinking about our sin do we shrink back in shame do we truly believe that we're accepted and loved by god are we able to have humble compassion for ourselves where God has forgiven us. And maybe we can even consider our response to these things when it comes to others and and the sin of others. Do we shame others? Are we repulsed by the sin of others? Do we believe that others can and are saved by Christ, met by God where they are? If you're new to our faith, if you're exploring Christianity, wherever you're coming from, I hope that you'll know our faith is not about being good or good enough to get to heaven. To perform, to be accepted by God. Our faith is deeply rooted and all about recognizing that we're all broken and imperfect, in need of a savior before a holy, sovereign, perfect, loving, and just God. And through who Jesus is, what he has done, we can be accepted, considered righteous. And all the things that we do, all those old tools of trying to prove our worth and value to ourselves, the world, to God, our families, to whoever, all of those things become tools to worship God become things that we get to enjoy, become ways that we can express and show others this love and welcome them in. And so when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he's not just offering this life, but he's saying, I am the way to this life. Believe in me and receive this true acceptance and this freedom from having to prove yourself. The third question that the crowd raises to Jesus, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? And what they're asking is actually, Jesus, prove yourself. Prove that you're the one that we're supposed to believe and follow. And they talk about the Old Testament. They quote the Old Testament describing how how, um, Moses brought this manna and and their, their ancestors ate in the wilderness. And what they're doing, they're not talking about food at this point. The mention of manna, the mention of Moses recalls to Exodus, to to Egypt, to God bringing his people out from being slaves. And what they're looking for is for God to move in a similar fashion. See, this crowd wanted Jesus to be this messianic political figure. They were looking to Jesus to be their king, their leader, their champion, who would lead the Israelites, overthrow this Roman rule, reestablish the theocracy of Israel, Earlier in the chapter that we read, in Matthew 6, 15, it says that Jesus was perceiving then, after he feeds the multitudes and they see this miraculous thing, it says that he was perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. And so Jesus withdrew to the mountain by himself. You see, this crowd was here coming to Jesus with their own expectations of how God should behave, how God should work. And they were longing for God, Longing for him to work, but on their terms. And Jesus says, you've you've got it wrong. And he clarifies that what happened with the exodus in the desert, with, with the manna, it wasn't about Moses, this figure who brought this thing. It wasn't about him. But it was about God showing his love and faithfulness to his people. And even now, they misunderstand what God is doing and what Jesus came to do. And so Jesus tells them, I am the bread of life. I am the substance of God's promise. I am the one sent by God to make him known and to do his will. And while the crowd had their plans and expectation of what God should do, what Jesus should do to fit into their world, God has his own plans. See, Jesus would go on to die for the sin of the world and not just die, but be crucified. To be falsely accused and sentenced to death. And this is so blaringly opposed to what they expected, so blaringly opposed to even what Jesus' closest disciples imagined and expected, that when he shares with his closest disciples that this is going to happen, they say, no, no way, this can't be right. Jesus, you've got it wrong. And here, too, this happens today. I don't know about you, but in the last 18 months or so, but even in different points of my life, there have been times where things don't go as expected. Surprise, right? And whether with unexpected turns or pains that I've experienced personally, or with the pain, grief, loss, and tragedy in the lives of others, there have been so many moments where I've asked and prayed, God, how does this fit? this can't be right. What are you doing? You see, I want to make clear that when Jesus responds here and says that they've missed the point, they've got it wrong, he's not saying that people shouldn't mourn, that we can't grieve or be hurt or come to God with our questions, doubts, and frustrations over what we thought life might have been or what life could have been or life, what life was on our, our table. He's not shutting down things that we might be excited about or or the disappointments we feel. He's not disregarding our pain. But rather, where it goes wrong, where it goes wrong, is when we hinge our lives on our own fabricated expectations, our own expectations of, of ourselves, of the world around us, and of God. And we expect God to merely fit in as an accessory. That's where we go wrong where we as created come to creator, demanding that the creator fit into our self-conceived pictures and expectations. I don't know what that is for you. Maybe for some, it's to actually see a theocracy here and now, to see Jesus fit into your own political views, fueling your own political agendas and ideals. Maybe it's expectations over how my career, my finances, my standard of living needs to be that I would never feel uncomfortable in any way. Maybe it's expectations of our relationships, our view of self, of our families. And maybe what we have in our hearts is, is the, the the statement and question of, of what, must my life look like for me to feel blessed on my terms? And for us as well, we hear Jesus' response when he says, I am the bread of life. I am the substance of God's promise. And rather than the created dictating the actions of the creator, it makes far more sense that this creator who made us well and with intentional design, with the ultimate good of the created in mind, that we live by his way, that we live with him. And a question for us to ask is, is our picture of how we expect God to work in line with the scriptures? What Jesus says about himself. Because we're called as his people, as the church, to receive this love, to be with him, and to share it with the world. To be known for our love. So Christ invites us to be with him as the bread of life. He invites his disciples and others he encounters. He spends time with them, communes with them, eats with them, values them, and meets them where they are. They get to simply be with Jesus. And there's this promise that he has at the end of this passage, that those who come to him, he will never cast out. He will be with them always, to the end of the age. And that same beautiful promise is there for us. So today, we're invited by God, this bread of life Jesus, we're offered this eternal life, this purpose. We're given the way to this life through Christ himself. And he promises to be with us through it all. In this series, we're talking about characteristics and who Jesus is focusing in on, on the person of Christ. So our application isn't going to be, hey, let's go out and do A, B, and C, but it's going to be be with Jesus. Bring your life to him. And so today, as we conclude, as Craig uh, comes and as the ushers prepare uh, to lead us in a time of communion, would you take time to be with Christ? Thank him for who he is. Find rest in who he is. That we don't need to claw to get our fill. That we don't need to prove ourselves. But in coming to this bread of life, we're accepted. Consider areas of your life where you've tried to prove yourself yourself and maybe ask him to redeem those areas, to redeem those things, that we can stop trying to prove ourselves. Join me as I pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that you not only offer us new life, eternal life, life with new purpose, But Lord, you say that you've made the way where the rest of the world will call us to perform, will call us to prove our worth. Lord, you say that we're accepted because of who you are. Lord, teach us to be with you, to quiet the impulse, the thought, the feeling of needing to do, to accomplish, to be fussy. Remind us that You are God who is sovereign over all. Remind us that you are God who loves us and who knows us, both the good and the bad. And you love us. Teach us to be with you before we do and be glorified in that. In your precious name we pray. Amen.